I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 44 of Fried Squirms. And do we have a special treat today? Well, first off, I mean, we record these and then you don't listen to them until a week later. Yes. So, happy Halloween. Yeah, happy this Halloween, is Halloween to everybody. Podcast. It is not actually Halloween for us yet. Not quite, but, but we're it getting will close. be. Yes. <laughs> it will be Halloween when you listen to this, and that's why we chose Trick Our, Our treat. treat. Yes, from 2007. We should distinguish it from Trick or Treat. Which is a 1986 film I have seen and is quite different from this film. <laughs> quite different. This is not Trick or Treat. No. This is Trick Our, Our treat. treat. Yes. And it's a joint venture from the United States and Canada. Mm, joint. We love joints. And Canada. Yeah. Eh? Filmed in Vancouver, to be exact. Awesome. I was trying to think, is there any news before we start getting into this? No, maybe. I don't know how many films I want to mention that I've seen this week. I did go back and get to watch a couple horror films. Now, because we have a lighter load, we're not watching 13 episodes per week. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got to sneak in a couple of more recent films, too. Dude, I have a feeling I'm going to be bringing that up for a while, too. That was... Dude, it was an awesome show. I love it, but it's a haul, man, trying to squeeze that in. Just to make sure that we did it. I think we did a really good job going back. I don't mind binging shows, but it's because it's on my own schedule. Right. I know you mean it's like homework. (laughs) That was a lot like homework, but I enjoyed it. I felt like we did a really good job of, you know, getting the point across. We're talking about our Hannibal episodes. Yes, we are. Go listen to Hannibal. Go watch Hannibal. Yes. Do yourselves a favor, which it's an interesting thing that we're still talking about that because there's a huge connection between oh i'm definitely gonna bring that up yes i am going to bring that up lots Um, of connections going back to that this episode makes me very happy we've been not to get into the squealness of this too much but we've had this plan for a while yes we have we've been looking forward to this this is one of our favorite movies Oh my gosh, and it's a perfect one too for Halloween. I mean, I can't describe how perfect it is for it. And so, well, yeah, so it wasn't something we could bring up any sooner, but we've kind of just been like itching, like, when can we finally get to fucking trick? We've had this card up our sleeve for a while. When can we get to trick or treat? When can we get to trick or our treat? Here we are. So I'm excited that we're getting to do this episode for a lot of reasons we'll delve into. I'll reserve some of the films I've watched for maybe after we review the film. For those who are curious. Uh, Now, let me confirm this real quick, but uh, on the idea of, like, news before we get into things, and not to bring the room down too much, but I think, and I'm going to confirm this right now, so if you hear any typing, that's just me, I think Federico Lupi passed. Damn. (laughs) I hope not, but we'll find out. That ties into... Kronos. Yeah, Kronos, which we probably did a lot longer ago now than it actually feels like, but... It feels like just fucking last week that we were covering that movie. I really, oh, I dug that movie a lot, and that would be... And it was a cool way for us to introduce Guillermo del Toro, because that was his debut film. Oh, yeah, he just passed three days ago. Damn, well, that sucks. Well, for those who were curious to who Federico Lupi is, he played Grey Jesus in Kronos, del Toro's (laughs) debut film. Grey Jesus. That is a wild name. Jesus Gris. But I thoroughly enjoyed that film, man. I really did. I enjoyed it yeah. enough to go buy it. Good point. A pretty dope version of it, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, I got the Criterion Collection copy of it on Blu-ray. So, yeah, yeah I'm pretty stoked about that. Blu-ray. I'm oh, not man. stoked Speaking about Back in the Past. Like, at this point, I told you I have a surprise that oh, yeah. you'll get to know about yeah. uh, within the next couple of days here. Which is going to be fun. I'm pretty I don't excited. even know it yet. It's a little gift for myself in celebration of the Halloween season. Sometimes you have to do that. But, okay, I guess 
Trick or Treat, number Happy 44. Halloween, number 44. Let's talk about what went into this movie in the Guts and Bolts. Guts and Bolts. So here we are in the Guts and Bolts Ooh, of uh, Trick or Treat. Once again, to distinguish from Trick or Treat, yeah. completely different movie. Because it's easy to get those two mistaken in terms of the title. Once again, happy Halloween. Yes, happy Halloween for uh, those. That's a listening. huge thing for this movie. I would say, first off, before we get any further than this, if you have never seen this movie, and this is around Halloween, this is perfect for Halloween. Perfect. 100% perfect. Do yourself a favor and watch this movie. If you listen to our podcast and you haven't seen this movie, go watch this movie oh, before you listen to the rest of this podcast. I would say, too, if you're at this point in the podcast, go ahead and get a copy of it. We are going to have this episode on Halloween. I'm willing to lose listens when we drop this right. by telling people to just stop listening to it right now. So they can watch it. And watch it first. Yeah. Invest about an hour and a half of Trick or Treat and then come back to us. Yeah, It's not even an hour and a half. Not even. It? I'm saying I'm giving you a little time for pee breaks and, and drinks and all that. Popcorn. Yeah. Very easy anthology style movie, which have we done? We haven't done an anthology style movie yet, have we? I don't think we have. So that's cool. That's a first for the squirms. High five. Anthology like, style comes up in horror. Like Yes, it does. Fucking Tales from the Crypt, son. Tales from the Crypt. What, Tales from the Hood? <laughs> I hope not. Not that one. Jesus Christ. I didn't really even think about that till right now, but I wanted to try to make sure that we got to a synopsis first, because we keep forgetting about that. Yeah, we always skip that while we get into the... So, synopsis is four interlocking stories of fright and revenge and punishment punishment i guess being a very big overall theme happen in a town on halloween with a central figure i'm just gonna say of sam linking throughout no Uh, i think that's pretty decent it's four tales interwoven into one larger tale it takes place on halloween night one central character is in every single one of the stories and it revolves around his rules for the night yeah there we go. Yeah, that was basically what I said, right? I don't yeah, remember. That's okay. We're we're getting there. <laughs> I realized it was suddenly really hard to explain four... I'm not going to go deep into four stories, but that's what you need to know. It's based around four individual stories that all are interlocking. Right. They all overlap each other one way or another, and it reveals a larger story. And it's all just part of one Halloween night in one town. Right. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it also plays very much on, like, classic Halloween urban legend tropes. Lores, tales. Lore, tales, Everything involved with Halloween. That's why it's so perfect for it. Like, it's reliant upon Halloween lore, tradition, and the urban legends that spring up around Halloween. And it's beautifully told. It's so wonderful. And beautifully told and directed by... Michael Doherty. There we go. And Michael Doherty has some claim to fame, perhaps. He's involved heavily with the X-Men series, most notably X-Men 2, X-Men Apocalypse. The best one. Well, wait, Logan's out now, so no longer the best one. But until then, X2, Nightcrawler, bamfing around the fucking White House. Yeah, dude. Damn. Anyway. Yeah, but he's also responsible for the film Krampus, the new film that's supposed to be coming out, I think in 
18 or 19, Godzilla, King of Monsters. 2019. Oh, yeah. I am all over that. I'm a huge Godzilla fan from way back. So You did talk about Urban Legends. He's responsible for helping to write on Urban Legends Bloody Mary and Superman Returns, which involves another big name for this particular movie. That's true. In fact, that's kind of perfect because that lists most of his credits and is a, great, se- and is a credits, great, yeah. great segue to the producer, Brian Singer. Yes, and if you're not familiar with Brian Singer, he's also responsible for being the producer of X-Men 2, films like The Usual Suspects, one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations, The Apt Pupil. Highly recommend that film. Shows like House, the show Legion, the film Superman Returns, the film Valkyrie. Brian Singer is involved with some pretty big blockbusters. Now, I do want to say that it, it's probably very pertinent with everything that's going on in the media right now to point out that although he's not being brought up right now, Singer might not be the best guy. There has been some allegations of sex abuse with minor boys. <sighs> Hollywood is fucked up right now. So, I mean, he's not being talked about right now, I guess, where a lot of things are happening, Harvey Weinstein and all that. Jesus. But he might not be the best guy either, it seems like. Um, yeah. But Keep your dick in your pants, guys. We'll, we'll see what, if anything, ever comes of that. I just think it's probably, Gosh. with what, all me. that's going on right now, it's probably responsible to at least put that out there. Like, yeah. Disclaimer. We are uh, not condoning any of this stuff at all. No. He might not be the greatest guy, and time will tell, and hopefully will tell if that is the case. Well, you know. That if there are victims, that they get justice. Absolutely. In the meantime, like I said, this is what we know, so we can't. It's hard to gossip further than that. So moving on from Brian Singer for a moment, I do want to bring up our cinematographer is Glenn McPherson. Now, he's done some pretty interesting projects. I want to name a few. For those who have seen the 1996 TV movie, he did the Doctor Who TV movie. He's also responsible. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, dude. 1996 is Doctor Who TV movie. He's responsible for being the DP on one of my favorite franchises, but he did the Friday After Next film, the 2008 Rambo film, The Final Destination, Pompeii, and he's also done work on the Resident Evil, the final chapter. And I Holy think he's done a shit. couple others as well. I'm actually really impressed with some of this. I really like some of these. Dude, Rambo is dope. That movie's fucking gory as shit. Yeah, he's got a lot of cool projects that he's worked on. One missed call, if we're talking about horror films, we have to be honest with that. My Baby's Daddy, Walking Tall, All About the Benjamins, Exit Wounds. He's done some pretty cool action films. Romeo Must Die is another big one. I'm not going to lie, my head is still kind of blown that he was the DP as filming Eric Roberts as the master in the fucking Doctor Who. We had that film at the library I worked at, and I made the mistake of renting it. I say mistake because it's not the best Doctor Who adaptation. But if you like Eric Wobbitz, I'd say go watch that because it's worth watching him on film. Dude, that Doctor was actually really good, too. It's not bad. I mean, it's not... I'll put it this way. It's not the strongest entry into the Doctor Who franchise. It's you not know the what? weakest. It's definitely not the worst, though. No, I was like, it's definitely not... It's I've definitely seen some not shit the worst. Doctor Who. Definitely not the worst. No, no. Not by any stretch. But... Once again, it's another Doctor Who connection for us. Our editor for this film is Robert Iveson. He's worked on some pretty cool projects. I wrote a couple down. He did The Walking Tall 2004 adaptation, the movie Take the Lead, and the movie The Strander. Our music is composed by Douglas Pipes. 
Um, Music was fantastic. Yes, it was. Brilliantly scored. A lot of cool tracks that were included as well. Some of his films he's done is Monster House. He did work on the Krampus film that Michael Doherty was involved with. And one film out of some of the newer ones that I watched, The Babysitter, which is currently on Netflix. Hmm. Okay. Interesting film. That's all I'll say. (laughs) I won't say any further than that. That's all I have. That's That's, all I got because I want to reserve. We might talk about it later on. Tatopolis Studios were a part of the special effects team, and they did work on the practical effects for their werewolves, which we'll talk about later on. They were also responsible for a major film that involves Kate Beckinsale in Werewolves. Oh, fucking Underworld? Yeah. So this studio company is, yeah, they did all these. I heard that they're going to try to do Underworld as like a TV series, but it's going to be kind of like, I guess, like a reboot or something. I'm down. I like the concept. Like it was always out. cool. Like vampires versus werewolves is like that's always one of those like big that's ones one of those things that, that makes like eight year old me just go like yeah. Well, kind of yeah. like fucking they put out the full trailer for Pacific Rim, the mm-hmm. next one, Pac Rim two, and inner eight year old me was just like yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, buddy, you're going to that opening day, and you're just going to like jizz yourself very awkwardly while watching ah, it. In front of everybody. <laughs> Who cares? You're going to fill the cup. <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of cool that this particular FX team worked on this film as well, and they did a really good job. New Deal Studios were responsible for the miniature effects and photography, and WCT Productions were responsible for the makeup special effects. Our production companies are Warner Brothers. They helped present the film. Legendary Entertainment was in association with. Bad Hat Harry Productions and Little Sam Films were also our production companies. Distributors. Bad Hat Harry. Yeah. Bad Hat. Warner Brothers Pictures were responsible for the 07 release. You know, it was interesting because it didn't really get a worldwide release until like 09. I wanted to bring that up because that's one of the first things I remember about this movie. It was supposed to get a September 07 release, mm-hmm. which... Oh, no, it was supposed to get an October 07 release. It was going to up some against some pretty heavy competition at that time. It had it dropped. And I remember that very, very distinctly because the very first thing I remember seeing of this movie was the trailer was tacked on to the front of 300, which came out in March of 07. Oh, nice. It came out March 9th, 07. I saw it on March 10th, 07. Went with some friends, spent the day helping pour some concrete. A lot of hard work. Yeah. It was a lot of fucking concrete that we poured. But on the way back to town, we stopped through here. We were like another 40 minutes outside town. And we stopped through here and went and watched 300. I was the one that sort of made the rest of them. I'm not sure if they liked it as much as I did. But whatever. You're going to learn today. I love that movie. Yeah, that's that great, movie yeah. up and down. That movie is one of the reasons why I'll defend Zack Snyder needing some place in this industry, maybe not as director, but till some the day place, I die. right? Yeah. Well, that's still that's a really cool, interesting story because now you got a time frame for it. But Trick or Treat was on the front of that, and I was like, "This looks amazing!" Fucking Dylan Baker, Anna oh Paquin, gosh. Brian Cox. Yeah, the list goes on, and yeah, it's a, it's a strong. I cast. wouldn't have recognized her by name at the time, but Leslie Bibb, and then nothing. Yeah, I went dormant. and I wasn't back then. I wasn't following entertainment news as closely, Likewise. so I didn't catch the fact that in September they pushed off the release. Yeah. From what I understood, too, around that time is had they dropped the film around that time in 07, they would have gone up against, like, Saw 4 and a couple other films that dropped around that Halloween season. So they shelved it. And it took until, at 09 before they finally got an official release. 
which was basically uh, just a straight-to-video, or in this case, DVD. And I think it got some screenings in between here and oh, there at different did. festivals and shit. But yeah, I even got yeah, them written then down. Then it ended up going straight-to-DVD. I don't remember when I finally saw it, but when I saw it, and this is a little bit of how it makes you squill territory, but as soon as I saw this movie, it made it onto my list of movie I watch every year leading up to Halloween. That's a good point, because once I think people do finally get to watch it, it's one of those is like, how was this not released in the theater when you look at the cast and people involved? And B, it's like one of those you either know about or you don't know about either. But once you do know about it, like I said, it becomes a mainstay. Oh, it's so Halloween-y. Yeah, it certainly is. It puts its halloween in my mouth, and I love it. And it squirts all its flavorful treats. As long as it doesn't put a fucking sharpened fucking lollipop in my mouth. Yeah, no, we don't need those. Halloweenies, we can deal with those. We can nibble around that. Anyway, where were we? Moving on. <laughs> I guess I mentioned some of the cast that's in it that you can Well, I got a few more things before we get yeah. into those peoples. Our budget for this film was right at like $12 million for the U.S. budget. Release date, we talked about. There's several of them, so I'll mention them chronologically. December 9th, 2007, it premiered at the Austin Butt Numathon for its theatrical premiere, believe it or not. And then in between, I think it got an Austin premiere, maybe even a Toronto International Film Festival premiere. But then it went silent. October 6, 2009 is when it was officially released here in the States and Canada. And October 26, 2009 in the United Kingdom. Taglines. Because, you know, Ooh. I got to have my taglines. I forgot to take a look at them myself. Oh, dude. I like this one. I, I can't remember how many there were. I don't think a whole lot. There was a few of them. But I like this one the most. And I'll try not to fuck it up. Poison, drowning, claw, or knife. So many ways to take a life. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, and then a few others were kind of hinting at, like, these are the rules that were made. So, you know, I can understand where they're coming from, but it's kind of vague, too, on top of it. But, anywho, that's one I liked. Okay. Sweet. Yeah, no, I I dig that one. Yeah, and... Especially the more I think about it. It makes sense. Yeah, that's just, like, it was kind of clever, if nothing else. But that's what I got for my technical side of the notes. We want to get into our cast. You already named kind of three big ones. Right now, I kind of just want to talk about names right now. Yeah, we just breeze through who they are. We got um, Dylan Baker's in this. Yeah, he plays uh, Principal Steve Wilkins. Anna Paquin, you mentioned, is Lori. He's one of those guys, by the way. You might not recognize his name. When you see him in a movie, yeah. you're like, oh, him. Oh, that guy. Oh, him. Yeah, I like him. He's yeah. good. That's Dylan Baker. He's one of those guys. Here's a reference, real quick, for those who are curious. Go listen to our Cell episode, because he is in the Cell. Way early on. What that? What number was that? Four, five? Yeah, that was in top five, I'd imagine. Somewhere around there. I think it's still our longest episode. Yeah, it's like three hours long. Jesus, Jesus. Murphy. What the fuck did we talk that long? Uh, <laughs> fucking, what's his name? Singh? Oh, uh, Tarsum Singh? Yeah, man. That's why. Man, it's a, God damn, it's a beautiful movie. It is a beautiful film. We got nerdy about it. Anyway, Dylan Baker, we've talked about. Right. He's back. For those who are familiar with Anna Paquin, you might be familiar with Sookie on the television show True Blood. Right. I she was also involved in a lot of the X-Men films as well. So yeah, I was going to say or she's, she's on this. Rogue. Yeah. I kind of always think of her as Rogue. You know, if you're high class, you might think of her in The Piano. She was in a lot of films as a child, too. She was a child actress, if I'm not mistaken. Well, in her debut for The Piano, she won Best Supporting Actress, the Academy Awards. Yeah, I mean, she does a really good job in this film. She's not in it for very long, but an important character in the film, nonetheless. There was something else that I wanted to say that I think about her in, but I don't think it was Scream 4, but now that I'm looking at her filmography here, that might be it. But, I mean, she's rogue to me, so 
<laughs> almost uh, famous spawning forester yeah buffalo soldiers is the one i was thinking of oh almost famous fuck duh that movie's fucking great pro skateboarding is jason lee yeah dude that shit's good film billy kudrup which is funny because yeah gets i was gonna say dr manhattan yeah because there is an actress big swinging dong on in this film who was involved in the watchman which i'll name here in just a brief moment plays a bit part but her part's kind of neat i'll mention her in a moment well, we have Brian Cox in this. Brian Cox, oh man, he's that's so interesting because well, did we mention Manhunt at the end of the last episode, or did we just talk about it after the episode was done? We did talk about Manhunt toward the end of our Saw episode. Okay. We also couldn't help but talk about him being Doctor Lecter in Man because Hunter. we did fucking Hannibal, Hannibal which we just for mentioned. three weeks just before that. Yeah, I think of Brian Cox too in Super Troopers. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, yeah, he's shenanigans exactly that that's who he is <laughs> that's all we should have to say is shenanigans if you've fucking seen fucking super, super troopers, troopers man. <laughs> but brian cox is a really well-established actor and does a great job in this and he pays homage to one person in particular who we give big respects to big ups to john carpenter mm. yeah i'll mention how he pays tribute to him but he plays our mr krieg which is an interesting character name I thought that too. Let's get into that in a little bit. Yeah. Quinn Lord is our Sam and Peeping Tommy. This also, I think, borders a little bit on squeal territory, but I know that you went a little bit deeper into some of the research that I got to this week. Yeah. But I believe I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the character of Sam was a little bit, in some ways, created to kind of be like a new emblem for Halloween, right? Oh, that is totally correct. When Michael Doherty, I think, was in film school, he did a short for this before this was even a film. And he said wherever he was going or whatever projects he was working on, he always found himself kind of doodling the Sam character. And while he was at NYU, he shot that short animation. But he said that Halloween really didn't have a mascot. It always had these different symbols and themes, but didn't really have a something you could latch itself onto, like, like a Sam character. You know, it had other things, the tales, the lures, jack-o'-lanterns, but nothing that really, like, you know, made Halloween Halloween, I suppose. Right, it doesn't have the Easter bunny. It yeah, doesn't it doesn't have, have Santa Claus. It doesn't have a central figure. I mean, I guess Thanksgiving is kind of missing that, too, but fuck Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy that we get the day off work, but that's about it. <laughs> other than that, it's a shitty holiday. Yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up as a technical aspect. Going into this movie, if you haven't seen this before, think about that and sort of Sam's influence on everything and all the events, and I'm down, dude. I love Sam. Like, Oh, dude. What, like, So once you see this film, it's like, oh, Sam, yeah, fuck yeah. And maybe also uh, a technical note, Sam derived from Samhain. Yeah, which is funny because <laughs> it does not look like that when it's spelled out. When it's spelled out, it looks like Sam Hain. Yeah. Which you might recognize as band. a band name. Yeah. Because the band, you do pronounce it Sam Hain. Exactly. And it's funny because they use Sam from Samhain. <laughs> Sam Hain. <laughs> Goddamn. The Celts. That's all you need to know. Yeah, but Quinn Lord does play Sam and Peeping Tommy. Lauren Lee Smith is Danielle. She plays the older sister to Anna Paquin's character, Lori, which Lori is named Lori for a reason, which I don't know if you want to mention now or in the squeal section, but we'll get to it. Oh, really? Yeah, really. I think you know why. I think As soon as you said Lori, well, look. yeah. <laughs> well, okay, I know why now, but yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Interesting, right? Britt McKillop. I'm going to stop at her name real quick because I think you want to mention her. She plays Macy. She's one of the younger teens in this film. 
Well, because Britt McKillop and Christine Willis, Willis mm-hmm. appear in this. We just two weeks got done doing a month of fucking Hannibal. Brought to you by Brian Fuller. Yes. I am totally in the bag for Brian Fuller and have been re-going through Dead Like Me. Yep. And Britt McKillop is Reggie. <laughs> That's the OG Reggie we were referring That's to. OG Reggie. Back in Hannibal. And Christine Willis, Mrs. Henderson in this, is... I, I, I can't, I can't, remember, like I can't me, remember her first name, but it's fucking... Her big, her last name's her big, as in her big brown eyes or her big fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, we love it. But no, that was kind of cool because when I was listening to uh, some of the director's commentary, they had mentioned the fact that Dolores Herbig, it might God be. Damn it. But yeah, he made mention of the fact that there was a lot of people who were involved in this that not only were involved in X Men and in Battlestar Galactica, but also in Dead Like Me because he's friends with Brian Fuller apparently. So I thought that was kind of neat, and it probably helped with the fact that this was shot in Vancouver, which a lot of those shows were. That does include Hannibal, of course. I think it was filmed mostly in Toronto, though. I think some so parts were in Vancouver. I mean, that also... The spe- X-Files, yeah, stuff like that. I love this movie enough that it's hard to completely, like, separate things from how it makes me squeal. Yeah. Because that's also something for me personally, being a big fan of Dead Like Me and... Well, Christine Willis also appeared in Reaper. I loved Reaper. That's pretty awesome. And seeing them in this just sort of pulls me in a little bit more. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Even though Britt McKillop kind of plays a little bitch in this. Yeah, and I think it was Michael Zordy and a couple others were like, gosh, she does such a good job of playing a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Rochelle Eights plays Maria. She's a young, attractive lady in this film. Jean-Luc Bilodeau plays Schrader. He's one of the younger teenage kids. Sam Todd plays Rhonda. She's another one of the younger teenage kids. Alberta Gisi plays Chip. Isabel DeLuch plays Sarah. That rounds out some of the younger cast. Monica Delane plays Janet. She's another one of the young, attractive fairy tale characters. Leslie Bibb plays Emma. Tomo Pinnaquette plays Henry. And he was the one I was mentioning that was involved with Battlestar Galactica. And I oh, believe Superman yeah. as well. Yeah, I was kind of wondering where I recognized him from when I There saw was him. a name they had dropped. I want to say it was like, ugh, I could be wrong, but I want to say it was like Aaron, somebody who was involved maybe with Battlestar Galactica, and they were talking about casting and people who were auditioning, and I believe Michael Zordy was like, well, I already worked with that guy on one of the films, and I wanted to work with somebody else, and he was a big fan of Battlestar Galactica, so he's like, I want to cast Tomo instead. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Tomo plays Henry. Brett Kelly plays Charlie. Charlie's the chunky kid who, oh, okay. uh, you know, he likes to smash jank lanterns Oh, that chunky kid. Okay. Yeah, that chunky kid. I remember him from Bad Santa, which is another themed movie, Christmas-themed movie. He played Herman Merman, the big fat kid in that film. <laughs> but he does a good job in this film. Connor Levins plays Billy Wilkins, which is Dylan Baker's little son in the film. Okay. James Wilson is Alex. I believe he's the guy in the costume shop, the cashier. Right. Patrick Gilmore, but the camera guy. C. Ernst Hearth plays the giant baby. He's got a really interesting connection to another film because of this part he plays in this film. I'll go ahead and mention it because it's not a big deal. But in 13 Ghosts, he also plays a, a baby or an oversized no man. No shit. Dude, I, it's not a good movie, but I love 13 yeah, Ghosts. Yeah, it's not bad. It's entertaining. 
it might have been one of the first DVDs I bought online because I had to have it to get the extras on like all the information on the ghosts. We might have to cover that one sometime. It's not a bad one, dude. Not at all. I had no idea. Really? Yeah. That's the whole reason why they made him play that. The baby? Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. We might have to cover 13 Ghosts. Yeah, we'll get to that. No doubt. Let's see. We talked about Kristen Willis. She plays Mrs. Henderson. Richard Harmon is a vampire kid. And this is the lady I talked about who played in The Watchmen as one of Billy Kudrup's, I think they said exes or like lab assistant or some sort, but Laura Minnell plays Allie in this film. And it's funny because her scene takes place in an alley. I think maybe that's why I named her Allie. Oh, nah. <laughs> I was trying to think of who it was for a second there, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Allie. Gotcha. Yeah, I would have never known that had I not listened to the commentary. But uh, yeah, that rounds out the cast. I guess warning. Warnings, yes. Warning. There's some boobs. Yes, there are some boobs. Nice. I'm trying to think how the violence is in this. Somewhat involves children, let's put it that way. We're going to touch on that in a bit, but yeah, there's violence towards children. Definitely is. There's blood. There's a blood. little bit of gore. There's... A little bit of gore, yeah. Animal language. attack. Animal attacks. Well, this does take place on Halloween, so if you're not comfortable with Halloween-themed, all of the scary shit in between. Yeah, if you don't get down on Halloween stuff, then... What are you doing listening to this episode? The fuck. <laughs> fuck the you listening fuck. to us for? <laughs> we love Halloween. Get out of here. Yeah, how would you be so into horror movies that you, that you listen hate to a horror Halloween. movie podcast, that it but be... hate Halloween? I'm sure there is. I'm sure somebody... Yeah. And we just lost a listener. Well, send us an email and explain to us. Give us some reasons. How would you love horror movies we'll enough listen to, to that. listen to a horror movie podcast yeah, to hear I'm, us in the first place? I'm reasonable enough to, to hear you out. hate Halloween. Yeah, that'd be fucking... That's weird. I don't know. We'll find out. It kind of goes hand maybe. in hand a little bit. Like, t- fucking... It's the season right now. Like, I it's love like it. Like, peanut butter and jelly. TNA. Everybody's watching horror movies. I'm like, yes. Yeah, dude. Everybody is. And I love it because the lists are popping up left and right. And I love it. Yeah, it's giving me a lot of stuff like, ooh, I haven't seen this in a while. Or, or ooh, well, that reminds nice. me I haven't watched this yet. It gives me like, perfect excuses to, to go to see it, some like... shit. Yeah, man. Anyway, uh, language. Yeah, a little we mentioned bit. language. Mm, what else? Otherwise, I mean, the horror in this is very reminiscent of like urban legends and like campfire tales. Yeah. So if that's the kind of horror you're looking at. It's just going to be represented on screen with a little bit of blood. The blood isn't the most realistic looking blood, but it's no. It, it, it does a good job though. It does um, a good job. One other thing I wanted to mention because now I'm remembering. <laughs> it also reminds me a little bit of a creep show. We talked about anthologies. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. so creep it pays show. homage a little to that. That's what I was trying to remember earlier. But now I guess I mean let's just jump into this bad boy. You ready to squeal? Yeah, I'm ready to squeal. Let's do it. We've done our trick. Time for our treat. Mm. Our treat. How does that make you squeal? squealing definitely squealing if you still haven't watched this movie go watch it go watch this movie what are you doing because now we're going to talk about just the things that were interesting to us about it and we're not going to really pay attention to how this movie goes i'm just going to warn you right now because i really want all of you out there to experience the beautiful way that all four of these stories interlock together that's both beautiful and very obvious from the get-go. The opening credit sequence, the camera literally pans to all the characters that matter in this entire thing. Right, and it's a unique way of how all of them loop back on top of each other. That being said, 
too, there's some really cool ways of how this particular film it embodies everything of what Halloween is. And without giving too much away, it's almost told in a way from different points of view. Like at times in people's lives where it's either something that's brand new for like kids, because there's kids involved with this. It's something that you wind up doing with your friends when you're more like a teenager. And then it's something that you do maybe in your 20s and 30s when you're trying to hook up and get laid and all this other stuff. Go to parties, get drunk. And then when you're much older, where when you might even resent it. at a sex party with teachers. Yeah, or you're having orgies with hot dogs. <laughs> but it's interesting because it does show it from different age perspectives throughout this film, too. So it's a unique blending of tales of how Halloween is portrayed. On that night. So before we get too much further, because you talked about the kid aspect, and we touched on it a little bit in the warning. So before we get too far into this, <laughs> I want to go back into this. Even when I watched last night, it didn't really stand out to me. Rewatching this morning, writing my notes, doing with an extremely, well, extremely critical eye. Right. I was a little bit less stoned, and I was actually writing, so I had to pay attention to something. Rather than just sitting there and watching it and taking it. But watching it with a critical eye, this movie is fucking dark in the fact that by far the most people killed in this are kids. Oh, no doubt. By far. Yeah, kids be fucking up a lot in this movie. There are a lot of kids that get killed in this movie. Yeah, I mean, one of the. I don't know if I want to get And not even much, just like normal circumstances either. No. There's some intense things that go on in this film. Some interesting subject matter. So, yeah, I was about to say, I mean, this is the spoiler section, so we can go into it. Yeah. So, how insanely fucked up is the school bus story? Uh, it's uniquely how fucked up. How insanely fucked up is the school bus story? It's interesting that you bring that up, because that story, when I was listening to the commentary, right? I listened to the director's commentary, and he had a couple of the people involved with the film talk about certain scenes and this is one of them in particular now the kids on the school bus are actually real life people who have deformities the story goes like there is a group of mentally challenged and disabled kids on a school bus on halloween dressed in the clothing and the clothing's inspired by some photographers and photographs ralph meat yard and diane arbus meat yard meat yard exactly Okay. And Diane Arbus. Some of the photos involved actual kids from certain time periods, much older time periods, probably like 30s, 40s. Oh, right, because some of those 30s and 40s masks, if you look up those pictures oh, online, man, they're, they're fucking, fucking terrifying. Creepy, dude. Holy shit. But they were finding photos specifically of kids with handicaps on Halloween that would dress up, and that's what inspired some of the costumes on set. Okay. But the story itself is fucked up, no doubt. Right, yeah. The parents can't handle it, so they pay off the fucking bus driver, bus driver to, to off a school bus. I told you that there is a Battlestar Galactica reference coming up because of this. So there's a scene where the bus is going into a quarry, mm -hmm. and as they're driving up in the bus, the scene actually takes place. That was the scene where the Temple of Athena in Season 1 of Battlestar Galactica, that's the same site that they use oh, okay. in the film. So I was like, that's kind of interesting because, you know, there's, a, there's some G. interesting connections. B-Star G. Yeah, so for those who are familiar, that's the Temple of Athena. <laughs> and then, you know, I felt, 
especially when I was going back through it again, watching it twice, almost back to back, right before I fell asleep, and then first thing when I got up in the morning. Well, not quite first thing, but pretty damn close. Right. It seems like it wouldn't have been so fucking heart wrenching too, but the fucking vampire kid. Yeah, he's one home, and he noticed. And the second he notices, you're just like, oh, shit. Oh, no. Because that's a dead giveaway. Like, he knows that something's off on that day. And there is. Yeah. Sorry, that just really stood out to me. I was like, this movie is actually... dark. Well, and then they kill more kids. Mm -hmm. So you have eight plus, what, four? Is it four? Two boys, two girls. Yeah. That's 12 kids off. Versus how many adults get off? Well, I mean, well, there's I, more than that too. There's the chunky kid. That's oh, there's that's thirteen. Mm-hmm. Was that a different head when they went to carve the pumpkin than the chunky kid? I think it was a different head, which would make fourteen kids. I don't know. I think it was the same kid. It looked like it to me. I mean, to me, it did. I didn't think so. I thought the hair was quite a bit different. But it could I be. might be wrong. It could be though. I might be completely wrong. Well, on 13, that, 14. 13 and a half. I'm trying to think, was there any more? I don't think so. Not that I'm aware of at this point. But then adults killed. Mm-hmm. Now there is kind of an indeterminate number mm-hmm. at the party. Yeah, the bonfire. But at least I'm gonna say at least say six there, maybe. There was their group, but then there was at least one more group about their mm-hmm. size. I'd say eight. Let's say eight. Yeah. We could go there. Let's say eight. At That's least a good eight. number. I would say that it might actually be as high as, like, 15 or so, but it's never really made explicit, and there's only, <laughs> there's like... There's still a lot of deaths in this film when you add it up, though. Yeah. It might be as high as, like, 15, in which case it blows <laughs> out our fucking kids. Yeah. But, but I, I think know. it's closer to lower. I think it's lower. And they don't really... Yeah. That's the thing, though. They don't really show you... There's only one that really matters. Yeah, big when one. it comes down to it. The That's fact that we're, we're yeah. giving them eight is generous, I think. I think, too. There's only one that matters. Exactly. Really, as far as the story goes, there's you might be able to argue that there's four that matter if you take the entire group. Right. When you take things into consideration. So let's give them six, then. Okay. There was more werewolves there, but yeah. as far as what counts towards the story, what matters, let's give it six. That's what I'm saying. There was, I'd say, yeah, six tops there. God, I can't believe I just talked about that for like two minutes straight. It's okay. Anyway. We're getting our numbers uh, right. Plus one in the beginning, for sure. Well, there was Emma. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I want to get into that in a second yeah. here, but I she's a Megan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then Brian Cox. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Is that it? I think so, man. And as the far adults? as main characters, yeah, adult-wise. I was trying to figure out exactly how, if anything was wrong with the rules, like if they broke their own rules at any point right. and tried to turn any of it into a morality play or anything. And it wasn't. Otherwise, like Mrs. Henderson probably would have gotten off for offering the kids alcohol and throwing a sex party. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, it's revealed if you pay Which attention. It, but it's not a slasher and it's not a morality play. No, it's not. It's a warning. It's a warning. Take Halloween seriously. She warns them with a message, too, as uh, those kids are leaving her home. She tells them to watch out for monsters. Mm-hmm. She wasn't joking. So another thing I noticed straight off the bat when they open it up with the old-timey footage, mm-hmm. there's a kid wearing a Superman outfit. And I was like, oh, Brian Singer. <laughs> nice, yeah. yeah. There are a lot of scenes with Dylan Baker inside his house, uh, the scenes of him inside the home, where they said they were using a lot of his family photos 
to make it look more authentic. Not that it's oh. noticeable, but apparently there's like old photos of. See, Donald I was Baker just transfixed by the baker. Shit. Like I wasn't even really paying attention to the scenery. They did a good job, man. Like they no. could have done it on a fucking set, and I would have noticed. I That's what I'm saying. I didn't notice anything in the house either. I wasn't really looking either. I mean, Key always does a good job, in my opinion. He's great in Fido. That's a really good film. Lee Connolly. There is <laughs> a movie that got him an eye for possibly being in this film, and that film is called Happiness, and he plays a big, bad creeper in that, in that I never film. did see that. I've heard <sighs> things about it. Stellar cast, another one of those anthology stories. Fucked up movie. It's good, though. And one of the things I did notice about this movie is it's just twist after twist after twist after twist. Like... M. Night must get a fucking hand job from watching this movie. There's so many <laughs> twists to it. Yeah. Because, like, Dylan Baker, some of those first scenes alone, it looks like he's going to fucking kill his kid. Nope. I love that, but no, he doesn't. He finds different methods to take out his frustration. But even before that, just backing up, we mentioned Megan. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to continue calling Leslie Bibb Megan. Because even though I realized I'd seen her in things before that... She did like eight episodes of ER and like a bunch of other shit. I love ER. I've watched a ton of ER. <laughs> but wrong with that? there's a few shows that in my free time, when I just need something on in the background, when I'm like doing dishes or like cooking dinner or trying to make my cat love me, <laughs> <laughs> that I can just have on in the background and I absolutely love because I can tune in and out of it. And I've seen them fucking thousands of times. Well, not nearly, but feels like it sometimes and know enough of the jokes that i can tune in and out and still get a lot of enjoyment out of it and one of those is the league oh yeah definitely and i thought it was really funny that she was in this and in my free time this week i watched midnight meat train which i don't want to talk about too much because we've talked about doing it on the show right but she's in that and she's in the league and not often, but she's a semi-recurring character as Megan. And she starts off in a relationship with Mark Duplass's character. And you watched Creep this week. I, I did. I certainly did. It was one of those films I got to sneak in in my free time. And I highly recommend it. It might be one down the road we might have to talk a little bit more in depth about. But highly recommend it. But I just always see her and think about her slipping a finger up Mark Duplass's ass during sex. Sometimes you gotta get that stink finger in there. And him really not being entertained by that. (laughs) Also, yeah, Midnight Meat Train. Watch it in preparation for the fact that we're probably gonna cover it at some point. Yeah, there's quite a few actors in that are really good. Interesting, too. And read the story, too. I have. It's really good. They did a good job. Yeah, Clive Barker. They did a good job of adapting it. So I still remember thinking back about the first time I ever watched this. And twist upon twist upon twist upon twist. The one that played out the best overall for me was The Werewolves. That was a really cool twist. Because that, that one of... encapsulated a lot of the other twists. Like Dylan Baker's sure. character, the reveal on him and shit, gets very much tied into the werewolf reveal. I think that's probably what caught me off guard was they're like, oh, they just did a, a big reveal. Like... They're not going to, oh my god, what the shit, werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool. Now, a lot of that, too, the werewolf scenes, that was practical effects with CG enhancement. And that was the same team we talked about earlier that worked on the Underworld films. And there was two other things I liked about the werewolf party, as mm-hmm. I think about it. Well, there's a lot leading up to that. And one of the things I noticed, now knowing the twist, 
almost all their dialogue earlier in the movie is about the fact that they're planning on going out and eating people. Yeah, they, they allude have to it people. a lot. A lot. And I even realized that when the lady chides them in the dressing rooms about there being kids out here to keep it down, and it sounds like they're having some really fucking raunchy, raunchy sex talk. Yeah. They all laugh about it, and I realize they're laughing because that's not what they were talking about at all. Yeah, it's being misconstrued. It's funny you mentioned that scene, in a way, because there's a kid that winds up doing a little peep show. Quinn Lord. Yeah, who is... Sam. Sam. So there are times in this Peeping film, Tommy. Yeah, the little monkey suit kid gets to see an eye full of BOTs. <laughs> and yeah, that's our Sam in costume. There's three different people who play Sam, he being one of them. Mm-hmm. There was a like four and a half foot gymnast, I think a lady maybe in her early 20s. For the fight with Brian Cox. Right. And then there was an eight-year-old stunt boy in certain scenes too. Okay. Yeah, so there was three different people. But that was an interesting one. There was an actual kid who was a stunt person. But there's two things that stood out to me about the werewolf party. Right. The first time they cut to the werewolf party, if you listen very faintly in the background, they're playing a remix of Cry Little Sister. Yes, they are. And that's a, a pretty cool reference. And if you don't get the reference... Go watch Lost Boys right now. Yes. I think it's a remix, right? That version they play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And that is a direct ode to the Lost Boys. And then... During the bonfire sequence. During the bonfire at the very end, a few scenes later, once it's finally cut back and it's revealed that they're all werewolves and shit, you get the Marilyn Manson, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. Mm -hmm. And I love House on Haunted Hill remake. It's not that great of a movie as well, but it was one that, it's like... It's decent, though. It, it's got some great memories for me attached to it and shit, and that fucking song always puts me back into that mood. And it's some of my earlier, like, horror movie memories. You know what's interesting about that? It's another one of those cool things you bring up. Is during that sequence, when they're filming, it's much like Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, where Chris Glover's dancing to a different song that's being played on film. You know, they're playing, was it like an ACDC song during that dance party where he's doing his dance, but on film they're playing a different song altogether. Mm -hmm. Same thing. On film, as we're watching it, they're playing Sweet Dreams, they're made of this. But on set, they were playing Fever by Peggy Lee. Oh, no shit. You gave me Fever. But they said it felt too light for that situation, and they wanted something a little bit more dark. And I think one of the executive producers had suggested using Marilyn Manson's song because it was a little bit more dark it was a little bit more popular, I suppose, too, with current audiences. So that's why they switched it up at that time. But Michael Doherty said it was one of his favorite scenes and the music. He said it kind of felt better for that scene. And so now I'm realizing, now that you brought it up earlier, that the very first time I watched this movie, I wouldn't have been surprised that Laurie survived now that you let me know that it's Laurie Strode. <laughs> yeah. Huge reference. And the reason why is because uh, Halloween, of course, which is a John Carpenter film, Brian Cox, his character, Creek, he said he wanted to look a little more like John Carpenter. He said, but when he put it makeup on, he said he looked more like a cross of Jerry Garcia and David Crosby. <laughs> so, okay, on to Creek real quick. <laughs> Not spelled the same way, noticed in the credits. However, seriously, Krieg, German for war. And his dog's name is Spite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This guy's going to get offed. Like, if you're named <laughs> yeah. War and you named your fucking dog Spite. Spite. Yeah, that's funny. 
the you're uh, gonna get fucking off the dog even is... if this isn't a morality play <laughs> yeah exactly the dog's real name is zip for those who are curious I got, yeah, not I, got spite. I got that inside info but yeah his character is unique man it's a cool play too uh, there's a lot of scenes with the candy i want to mention this too is because of some of the traditions in halloween with older people who like to put certain instruments and candy as a warning mm-hmm. because of that they couldn't use like hershey's and big name brands so everything candy wise and drink wise was named after people already involved with the film Oh, like okay. they used Latka bars, and Latka is one of the producers. I think it's Peter Latka. The whiskey bottles called Glenn McPherson's, and that's our DP for this film. I want to say, and there's a lot of great little like urban legend Holly shit Hose. mixed through in <laughs> with like the candy is the big thing. Like yeah. there's a lot of like razor blades and chocolate exactly. and glass shards mixed in. That's a pretty cool reference too. Yeah. And poisoned candy right. with at least potassium cyanide and arsenic. And oh, I didn't yeah. see what the third bottle was. Yeah, there was a couple of There was three bottles, bottles yeah. and one of them was labeled arsenic, one was labeled potassium cyanide, and I didn't see what the third bottle was labeled. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Even when I was going through, I thought like the way that the parade sequence with Dylan Baker and Allie played out felt a lot like an urban legend. Yeah, it did. It, especially, I think, for me with his costume. Some of these that. other things felt like campfire stories. Mm-hmm. The way they're told, yeah. Like, that's just part of a bigger story. Like, the werewolf thing feels like a campfire story. Oh, but, it's a part of a fairy but tale the, as well. Right? And a fairy tale. But Dylan Baker and Allie scene occurs within that larger tale right. and feels like an urban legend within that larger tale, yeah. which is part yeah. of the beauty and wonderfulness of this movie, the way oh, that yeah. they're, There's they're a lot able of to... There's a lot Yeah, they're yeah. able to encapsulate all these things. It's not just one. They're using a lot of all these different concepts. Yeah, which is really cool, man. Uh, that's one thing I do enjoy about it, too. It gives you the full scope of the night and different narratives of the night. There was only one other thing that I really wanted to bring up. I think you might have a, a few more points. Yeah, just a few I, things. Because you mentioned you even listened to like, the director's commentary. And Which shit, was cool, you? yeah. So let's hit yours first, because okay. mine sort of involves the fact that where I would want a sequel to go. So I feel like it's a good thing to, to end with, maybe. But Okay. God, I hope it is. I hope it's not just going to be me babbling for like two minutes and you all just wanting me to shut the fuck up but no there's a couple of references i just want to name because you can't help but watch a film like this and with people involved like this they want to pay homage and they want to show or hear certain things so i'll name a few there's a scene with brian cox's character creek where he's inside the house watching tv eating a candy bar and he's kind of flipping through the channels now there's a scene of house on a haunted hill There's also a scene of a Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Right. And then he flips the channel. And then James Marsden, who plays Cyclops in the X-Men, he got asked to do a ADR of a sequence. So if you're watching that scene where he's flipping through the channels, James Marsden lends a voice. I think it's right after that Scooby-Doo segment. He's using a lot of these different Halloween themes, too, with some of the kids... He said there's direct homage to Peanuts. Mm -hmm. And then there's stuff like with Rhonda, her house, with all the jack-o'-lanterns. It's a direct homage to Carrie. Oh, shit. I guess there is a couple other things that I wanted to bring up. Stuff like that. 
So I just wanted to mention some of those. Vincent Price, Brian Cox said there's like the scene where he gets stabbed. Okay. <laughs> he said that his reaction was a little bit of an homage to Vincent Price, like doing the, oh no. I'm glad you mentioned Rhonda because it reminded me of something I was completely brain farting on. That's okay. And I brought up the fact that it hurt me to see Britt McKillop playing such a little bitch. But part of it was because, at least when her character is introduced and through the first part of Dead Like Me, she plays a character that's much closer to being Rhonda. And I'm like, yeah. she can do this. Why, why are you being mean to her? You know how it is. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. And I was also thinking, I can't remember Rhonda's real name right Sam now. Todd. And this isn't in a weird way, but in a way to sort of sell the weirdness of her character. Kind of too adorable. I know what you're saying, yeah. She does encapsulate an image of what that character would be. And she plays it to a T. She's sweet, she's innocent, she's a little naive to certain things, but she's also insightful into other things. She's a little odd, but she plays it, I think, right on. The other thing I was thinking about, though, was a lot of this is, overall, it's kind of the night is being ruled by the will of Sam, in a way. Right. Some things he's doing directly, and some of it obviously has been ingrained there as part of the town, mm -hmm. but I feel like it's his presence that makes it all bubble to the front in this night. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no doubt. Like, it doesn't really make sense that the fucking werewolves decided to come out to the middle of nowhere right for that there. night when they're in the city and they've been doing it in the city and it's easy and yeah. whatever. But they come out to the middle of nowhere and they do this. And it just happens to be the same town that <laughs> right. Dylan Baker's already apparently been a serial killer for a while. It looks like it, possibly. <clears throat> Given the fact that he's done some of those activities with his son before. Yeah. That indicates at least some amount of time. Plus, it's a town that already has a weird history but with the kids, but they've never come back before. And I'm sure there's all sorts of fucking legends that would have every Halloween... There'd be kids doing a version of what Britt McKillop had done oh, yeah. that night. You know what I mean? That yeah. that's just how like local legends go. There's always kids going and and fucking checking out the haunted house in town and shit. You know what I mean? No, it's really cool because it does harken back a lot of things, probably for both of us too. When we think of Halloween and some of the traditions, like so, whether you're out trick or treating with your family or your friends, and then there's others who go out and try to do a little bit more mischievous deeds. So I feel like it's the fact that Sam is there right. that makes it all, like it was a powder keg before, but he's the spark, and now everything's going into motion, and it's just because he's there. Right. Plus, he's doing things himself, obviously, like yeah. with Brian Cox and shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's but really I'm cool wondering, like but the other thing I noticed is that he enforces the rules, but he doesn't care otherwise. Like, he doesn't save Dylan Baker, even though Dylan Baker enforces the rules just as stringently as sam does Rhonda doesn't get saved by sam no i, I think she gets out because things. of her own volition she does follow certain rules even though she follows the rules right. she doesn't get saved by sam no sam doesn't have any hand in, in her situation but sam will enforce the rules absolutely if you break certain tenets of the night, there are repercussions. So I'm wondering, what do you think Sam would have done to the fat kid if Dylan Baker wouldn't have got to him first? Ooh, that's a good one. Hypothetically? Because yeah. we can go anywhere with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we can kind of go anywhere, but you got a short little time frame because that would have been right around the same time, I think, that he would have been mm. killing Megan. Yeah. I was thinking, too. I don't know if he had quite yet trick-or-treated at Mr. Baker's either. 
because he does get something later on that helps him. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about Sam with the candy bar. Right. There is a razor blade in a piece of chocolate <laughs> that he uses against Brian Cox. And he got it from Baker, which is kind of neat. But I don't know, man. I think maybe the kid would have got a gutting of some sort. I mean, he did. That's what I was thinking. Some sort of gutting. He got smashed with the pumpkin, so maybe something with that. Maybe carve him up like a jack-o'-lantern. I was thinking cut his gut into a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. I mean, it would be maybe equal justice, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that when he was going through. Like, Dylan Baker got to him first, but this is the type of kid that if Sam saw that, he'd also go off on. Oh, yeah, you don't smash jack-o'-lanterns on... In on front of Sam. Night. No. <laughs> no. No. Not in front of him. Yeah, I think probably jack-o'-lantern. That would be my vote. Yeah, Face or body. Seems to make sense. Especially, uh, the kid was Perhaps a ginger, both. too, anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like the shirt. It said, uh, this is my Halloween costume. Right. <laughs> I was like, he was just right. going around stealing candy. Yeah. He was just dragging that bag he had. Nasty. But I like that, too, because you do get a shot of every single character. I want to... Every single, but the main characters in the film mm-hmm. when he's doing that. And they use that throughout the film, too, especially in the town sequence. They talked about the fact that Megan's character, <laughs> Elma, and Henry, you know, they're dressed up like the robot and Buck Rogers. They said there's times where you get to see them, and there's certain scenes where they're arguing and shit. Now, here's something I don't know if you're aware or not, but it's known that Michael Doherty likes to play pranks on people, especially mm-hmm. on set. There's two things in particular. He said that he liked to prank Leslie Bibb a lot. And there was times where she's like she wanted to punch him. <laughs> and there's a scene with Dylan Baker and Anna Paquin in the woods. Okay. Where she turns around and she sees the character, that vampire character. Yeah. And she has a scream. They said right before that, Michael Doherty played a prank on her where he was behind her and scared her. She turned around and that's when she let out that scream. And then they cut in, I guess, Dylan Baker being in that sequence. But okay. he would do that a lot to get scares out of people. And he said it was just one of those things, too, he associated with Halloween where people are pulling pranks and teasing people all the time and shit. And so here's the one other thing I had. This is nowhere where they are ever going to go with a fucking sequel to this, which there's always been talk of a sequel, and we still haven't really got it. I think they did a little bit of comics, there was which I need that. to get my hands on. Somebody sent us a copy. Yeah. Hey. Preferably. Hey, that would be awesome. A few people love us. No, well, anyway. <laughs> this is nowhere where they're ever going to go. When I was sitting back and I was thinking about the fact that Sam is supposed to be like the Halloween embodiment because there's already Santa Claus and Easter Bunny and shit. I was like, man, where would I take it next if I could do something with it? If I had any skill at actually bringing this to life other than a bare bones idea. And I'm like, oh, well, I can do a great bare bones idea. So somebody out there steal this if you want to. But I'd love to see them go meta with it and sort of have that happen and do like a super dark meta version of basically Nightmare Before Christmas Mm, with Sam attacking Christmas, basically. (laughs) Maybe getting back his time. You could frame it really meta within like society with how early fucking christmas shits on the shelves kind of but that's a good point (laughs) but what i would like to see is just sam already they showed him as having powers and stuff i want to see it all amped up to like 11 like go fucking (laughs) crazy with it right and all the shit that they showed him doing like turn it up to 11 and basically make him alucard (laughs) oh damn that would be awesome but much like he's the embodiment of the lore And he'd basically be fighting Santa Claus, right? Right. (laughs) Well, Santa Claus would have to be the embodiment of the lore as well. 
And some of the basis for the Santa Claus myth does fall within, like, Odin and Slipnir (laughs) and all that shit. So it would basically be, like, an eldritch abomination versus the fucking Allfather. I mean, you can get real deep. (laughs) And just be, like, this massive fucking, like, two gods fighting it out, basically. I mean, why not? Super just like grim, dark, supernatural action. Nobody's ever going to do that. I don't even know how the fuck you would do that. But I kind of imagine it almost like Dresden Files style, if anybody like reads Dresden Files. and Dropping names. That's right. <laughs> what I was thinking, too, which was interesting, because there talks about what would be the next logical step after this. Some of the things I had heard, whisperings, I suppose, were origin stories. Like, where does the character Sam originate from? Where did he come from, essentially? I mean, we know the origins of Halloween and things like that, but the character specifically. There was an interesting painting that said it was kind of maybe details. It talked about uh, Charles Adams like to draw sequences of pumpkin patches. Mm-hmm. And there's one in particular where you see like a row, just a few scattered pumpkins, but you see one already from like the inside carving the face of a jack-o'-lantern. So it was almost like, well, they created themselves. Oh, okay. You know, it wasn't like somebody created them. They started in a pumpkin patch. They became self-aware and, <laughs> you know, there you go. I don't know. It would be kind of neat, man. There's a lot of cool things it could play on. It could still play on the anthology thing if they wanted to. It could focus on Sam if it wanted to. I don't know. In my head, I like the idea of Sam actually being like this, just I mean, monsterably, just like this, like almost overwhelmingly powerful supernatural entity that just sort of chooses to walk around as this little kid that just has fun until it sees you doing something it doesn't like, and then it sort of toys around with you and destroys you. Yeah. And we have been watching a bit of Helsing. Kind of reminds me of how Alucard is a monstrous entity that sort of just sits back and toys around with its prey. Right. It's kind of indifferent until, I guess, it has to be involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the way it, like, regrew its fucking Appendage. hand and shit. And yeah. Did all those little tricks. I was like... Just make him a fucking, like, crazy-ass Eldritch Abomination. Like, jack him yeah. up to 11. Well, like you said, you, you've seen the powers that he encompassed. You're like, well, there's more to it than just him being a character of Halloween. And I do feel like it's kind of implied throughout that it really is sort of his presence that's really touching everything off. Oh, no doubt. Because he's in every scene that takes place that's of importance in, in the film. Mm-hmm. Somehow and he, and he's in it. He likes it whether he's Even if he just involved, makes sure to be there just to check it out. Exactly. Just maybe seeing if people are following through with the tales of the night and the rules of the night. And making sure it's as feared as it should be in a way, I guess. Yeah, yeah which is interesting. Like, where does he fit in? I mean, we like so we get to see these things, but I like Orton's stories. Not necessarily that they're done well, because they're not necessarily done well, but it's still interesting to see where they come from. I'm going to, like, have dreams for the next week, and it's going to be the greatest <laughs> thing of, like, Eldritch Abomination Sam versus, like... Odin, Santa. Write it down, It's going to be great. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> Fucking happy Halloween. Yeah, definitely. It feels weird because we are saying it a week early right now, but... But, I mean, us. we're getting close, and you and I still have a week of some movie watching to get in between, mm-hmm. and got some pretty cool shit. We've got in mind, but one in particular I know for sure. I mean, we just finished Halloween, but to just sort of keep up the mood and keep happy as we delve into all the other shit that we're just going to get fat from eating during all the holidays. <laughs> all the good chocolates. I want to give a little bit of backstory, I guess, on our okay. next pick a little bit. Definitely. We brought up our next movie, which is going to be Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. 
few episodes ago. Yeah, I have even before a few. Hannibal now, right? I think so. I'm almost certain. And we we kind of shit on it a little bit, <laughs> and we were called out a little bit by one of our loyal listeners, right? They said, you know what, maybe your memory doesn't serve you quite as well as you think. And I'm like, you know what, that's fair, that's fair. Yeah, you know what, we both kind of turned to each other and we're like, no, that's probably kind of accurate. It's been a long time since I watched that movie. It definitely needs a rewatch, especially if we're going to get fucking challenged on it online. You know who you are, Marquand. Yeah, Marquand. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a good way not only for us to revisit it, but it's festive. It's another Halloween film. It's not necessarily John Carpenter, but it's another person we have done that involved it, which is Tommy Lee Wallace. So next week, we'll talk more about it, and we'll probably repeat that story one more time, just for people who haven't listened to this episode. Yeah. If you've listened to this, be prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, which I'm actually looking forward to. Like, I've kind of lightly scanned the surface of some notes and some trivia and things like that, just to kind of you know, see what I'm going to get myself into. I'm like, all right, I'm game. And to keep listening to us. Yes. It'd be awesome if you'd like subscribe to us and follow us and all that good stuff. We're on SoundCloud, Fried Squirms, iTunes, Google Stitcher, Play. Google Play, Tuned In. We have a website, www.friedsquirms.com. Follow us on Facebook, Fried Squirms, Twitter at Fried Squirms, Instagram, Instagram. Fried Squirms Podcast. Right. And you can email us, squirmcast at gmail.com. Anywhere you can find the fried squirms, you can find us. And literally just a couple hours ago, all of our shit re-upped, so you're stuck with us for at least another year at this point. Yeah, and you and I were just talking about the idea of how many films we've done within this first year, and it's going to be interesting to see what the next year is going to bring in terms of all the films. So, yeah, we've got at least another year to go. Yeah, as of just a couple hours ago, so I'm super looking forward to that. And our next pick... And we have some other special things coming up, too. We'll talk more about those as we get closer to them. But we've got plans. Yeah, we do. We say that a lot. lot Not all of our plans pan out, but we've got plans. (laughs) Yeah, there's evidence of that with our um, House of a Thousand Corpses episode. We got, we got plans. Um, trying to think. I, I think that's about all I have to say on this one. No, enjoy yourselves if you've on Halloween. At this point, you still haven't went and watched Trick or Treat. Go watch Trick or God Treat. God damn it, watch it. But no, in the meantime, we do hope you all had a safe and happy Halloween. Let us know some recommendations if you have any. And in the meantime, check us oh, out. Oh yeah, we do intend on getting to like every recommendation that we get. Basically, it's just that we only do this one time a week. Yeah. So. And we do occasionally like have shit where we're like, we really want to get to this first because for some of our listeners who do listen to us all in order, it makes more sense. We don't really intend to like be teachers, but <laughs> right? it can right. kind of help to have some things before others. So no, it we is, will it is get nice to everything to do that. eventually, but there's only so fast we can do this. Right. And then we have a large catalog to work with. So give us some time. We'll work our way to it. But give us those suggestions. That's the point. Yeah, man. Hook us up. Let us know how we're doing too in the meantime. And we love you. You know we do. Oh, baby. You know we treat you right. Oh, baby. Anyway, uh, fried squirms out. Out.